the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love and wonders of His love and wonders, wonders of His love. Thank you, Dave. Continue chronologically through the Bible. Don't answer out loud. <coughs> By raising your hand but not speaking, how many of you know which book we're in in the chronological study? Raise your hand. You know which book we're in. I'm surprised because we have been in Proverbs the longest of any book so far in the series, and we're about to hit... Uh, I think it's been over 10 years we've been in the series, but we've been in Proverbs for a long, long, long time. At a certain point in reading Proverbs, you begin to think, all right, this is just a little much. Mm -hmm. Teaching Proverbs is exactly the same way because there's so many different things that it says in just a little bit different way. So many things that it says in a, an exact same way that it's hard to say, all right, how can I make this fresh? How can I make this interesting? This last section that we're in, Solomon did write, but he did not include. And I think a big part of it is he figured these things were all covered. Now, the men of Hezekiah, 200 years later, added this to the book of Proverbs because I'm not going to say why. God wanted it in Scripture, so he motivated them. That's going to be the ultimate answer, but I don't know what their motivation was in adding it in their day. It might have been at the order of Hezekiah. I don't know why Hezekiah would have ordered it, but for whatever reason, Solomon left it out, even though he did, in fact, write these things. Proverbs 27, verse 9, Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart, so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. We covered this last week. This one has changed the way that I live. There's been a couple of Proverbs that I thought I understood, and until I taught them, I didn't realize I don't understand these, and I need to change a couple of things. Um, in this, I always took this proverb as saying that if you've got a friend, then that's great. But none of the Proverbs are there just to make us feel better. All the Proverbs are designed to motivate us to change something. Every single one of them. The sweetness of a man's friend tells me I need to try to be a sweet friend. We talked about how there's some people that need conversation. They need this hearty counsel. And so I need to be aware of those people and I need to give them my ear. I can be a blessing to those people. This, this past week, several times with different people, caused me to pay attention. In every case, I felt like this conversation's a waste of time. This conversation's a waste of time. But I was keenly aware that they needed the conversation. Am I a good friend? As we cover the next several Proverbs, that's kind of, I believe, what he's asking. Am I a good friend? When asked, are you an average driver, most people say no. Most people say I'm a better than average driver, which, of course, is statistically impossibly impossible. Note that everybody can't be a better average than driver. Am I an average friend? Typically, no. I'm a better than average friend. This will identify, am I 
a better than average friend or am I slipping up? Again, this one showed me some things. Continuing to verse 10, Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. Neither go into thy brother's house in the day of thy calamity, for better is a neighbor that's near than a brother afar off. Families often help because it's expected. I'm not going to ask you, have you been expected to help someone in your own family? Because it's probably all of us. And none of us like to do it. Friends help because they want to. That's the main difference between families and friends. Friends don't have to. They want to. Families, depending on the closeness of the relationship, you may be aware that if I don't help them, they're not going to get helped, and so I've got to. I just have to. The church at Jerusalem was a wonderful example of friends helping each other. Barnabas had property and sold it, gave it to the church for distribution among the members. I've never done that. They all did it. All of it. They all let go of their valuables, whatever they were, for distribution among the church. That's real friendship. I would much rather personally get no help than help that's not voluntary. I would rather, if I was in a situation, have a Barnabas do something for me than have my own blood do something for me. Why is that? It's involuntary. I don't want anybody to think they have to help me. Sometimes, family will do it because they want to. Typically, at least in my experience, when I've had to help someone in my family, it's because they did not listen to my advice and I had to pay the mail them out. <clears throat> That's usually what happens. I've already done the work to prevent the problem. They didn't do the work they were supposed to do to prevent the problem. Now the problem exists, and guess who has to pay for it? That is not fair. It's not right. But we expect that out of families. Scripture expects that out of families. But when a Barnabas shows up, that's special. That person cares about me. That person is a good friend. The only way to achieve this type of friendship, to where people want to help, the only way to achieve it is to give it. That's the only way to achieve it. But you notice that doesn't end there. In whatever way the Lord leads us. Now this is important. A good friend will not help every time. A good friend let me a wise friend will see if the need is actually there and if necessary they'll hold back for our own good in my situation when um, I left Park Ridge uh, for three years I didn't go to church I did not ask for help from anyone but I, have, I was homeless. I had nowhere to go. There were people who helped me. 
were they being my friend? I think they were trying to, but they helped me do wrong. A lot of people stayed as far away from me as they could get. That, in that situation, was being a true friend. That's what we're supposed to do when people are doing wrong. We don't help people do wrong. We never, ever help people do wrong. So it's not about helping every single time. It's not even about helping when we think it's appropriate. For instance, through the years, both at this church and also at Park Ridge, and occasionally even in the fellowship when that was active, there would be people show up in the congregation with some sort of need. Uh, this is very common in churches. Uh, churches are famous for this. Go there, they'll help you. The, 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 the um, situation is presented like this. If you want to help, here's the plate. Okay? The problem is, is that person is watching everybody who don't walk to the plate. And so you're embarrassed not to go to the plate, and so you go up there. That's coerced. It's involuntary, and it's not helpful, and in my opinion, it shouldn't even happen, because if the problem that caused the need is not addressed, the need is going to still remain. You know, all you did was get them through the day or the week, maybe. The only way to achieve it, having people help because they want to, is to give it in whatever way the Lord leads us to. If God doesn't provide it for us, He don't want us to do it. Never, ever, ever go into debt to help a family member. Don't do it. Why? God is their provider, not you. And if you have to go into debt, that shows that you're doing something God did not make you able to do. And I would submit to you it's wrong to do that. I would say the, the lack of ability to help is a good sign God doesn't want us to be the one to help. Sometimes God wants to be the one to help. And in those situations, it's amazing how he does. But so often we are so desperate for the problem to go away, we'll do anything to make the problem go away. And God says, okay, now i got to do something else because you got in my way. You, 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 you tried to be their provider when I wanted to show them who their real provider is. How do we know what the Lord wants us to do? We have to take time to listen. I submit to you, there are no emergencies in the life of, of a, a Christian. There are no emergencies in the life of a friend. If we're going to be a true friend, ultimately we've got to point them to God, specifically Jesus. When we rush, we become the answer to their problem, and that's not what a friend does. We help them see what God's job is. We help them by being with them as they experience the problem if they're hungry, go ahead and feed them, but that doesn't mean just let them leave because they're going to be hungry again. But at the same time, if the only way this person is going to get this problem solved is by being given to, they're not experiencing God the way they should experience God because God is the provider. So a real friend, a true friend, someone who wants to get real friendship has to do this. It's a lot of work. It's straight up, being a friend is a lot of work. 
A lot of people think, I've got a bunch of friends, and I submit to you, people that have a lot of friends don't have a lot of friends because you don't have time to do that kind of work. Real friends, friends that um, a friend in needs a time, a friend in need is a friend indeed. You've heard this. This is, falls right into that category. It takes work. It takes time, and we need to be willing to give it if we expect to get it. Proverbs 18:24: A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. That is more than just tossing money at it. That is actually caring, and we're going to talk more about that in the next several Proverbs. There is a friend that sticks closer to the brother. That's obviously Jesus. If I don't point my friend to Jesus, I'm not being a friend. 11. My son, be wise. Make my heart glad that I might answer him that reproacheth me. This is Proverbs chapter 1 through 8. Very big section of the book, all in one verse. My son, be wise, make my heart glad, that I may answer him that reproacheth me. It leads into the next verse. A prudent man foreseeth the evil, and hideth himself, but the simple pass on, and are punished. This is word for word, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. I'm convinced they put it here on purpose to add to Proverbs 27, 11. Planning, using much faith, in God's direction, not worry using little faith. I don't know if you remember that principle or not, but this is very, very important. If all we do is worry about everything, we're robbing God. On the other hand, if all we do is let God take care of everything, we're robbing God. What does God want me to do in this situation? What has God may be able to do in this situation? Does God want me to help in this situation or to sit back and watch other people? Am I taking time to find out what God wants me to do in this relationship? I love hearing when my children tell me how they use Scripture to make a decision. I'm not going to ask you, if you've ever experienced that but I'm telling you straight up when your child says I use the Bible to fix this problem that is the best feeling in the world it's better than the day they got married guaranteed if our children are going to be wise if they're going to be prudent if they're not going to be simple, we have to show them how to do it. It's not naturally going to come to them. It's just not. Okay? People don't become better and better and better. Great message on Wednesday about uh, creation versus evolution. Scientifically, evolution can't be. It Correct. just cannot be. Correct. But even with discovery of DNA, which does not change, People who believe in evolution still believe in evolution. Why is that? They know that evolution can't be it because DNA doesn't change. DNA determines what you're going to be. You, you, you can't change it. So why do people still insist on believing in evolution? Because evolution requires that they do nothing. And that's what they want to do. If you believe in creation, you have to ask, what does this creator expect of me? And very few people are willing to accept a responsibility to anybody except maybe occasionally someone who pays them. 
maybe occasionally somebody in the family. But other than that, I don't want to answer to anybody. I want to do what I want to do. And so I've got to figure out a way to explain how I got here and not be responsible for doing anything as a result of it. But it's just not scientific. Verse 13. Take his garment that's a surety for a stranger. Take a pledge of him for a strange woman. Proverbs 20, verse 16 is word for word the exact same thing. Co-signing, again, this is the fourth time Solomon, and I can't remember if it was always Solomon or if there was a, a, a different writer in that, that one section of the other writers, but the fourth time it's been presented to us, never, ever, ever co-signed. Why say it again? Rarely will they pay. Take his garment that is surety for a stranger. Take a pledge of him for a strange woman. Rarely will they pay, but somehow in our minds we think they're going to pay us back. They're going to pay us back. They're going to pay us back. Rarely is that going to happen. And you will lose your shirt. I love that. I thought that was so cool when I saw that. Take his garment. You literally are going to lose your shirt. I actually showed this to a man at Park Ridge who is helping what this is talking about, a strange woman. A stranger is not someone you don't know. It's someone who does not believe in your Jesus. That's what a stranger is. It's someone who believes something different or nothing at all, but they are a stranger to your God. That makes them a stranger to us. He is in every day. This woman who is in genuine need will not go to church. She has nothing to do with God. She's just going to beg, 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 beg and come up with it. Well, he's her biggest source of income. And he keeps track of every penny. I told him, I said, can I show you a verse? I said, by helping her, without her acknowledging your God, by helping her, it promises you, you're going to lose your shirt. He said, I never saw that before. 14. He that blesseth his friend with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse to him. Morning people, this is for us. And I am a morning person. Okay, I didn't used to be. I, before I got the job at the gas company, I was a night person. I, it made me sick, physically ill, if I had to wake up with an alarm. I don't know why that was, but subconsciously, I would get sick in the morning. At the gas company, I've got to be there at 7, and so um, and some of y'all have to get there even earlier than that. But for some people like me, we get up without an alarm. I Very rarely do I ever have the alarm go off. This morning, I woke up at 3.15. Why? Well, I went to bed at 6 o'clock. That, that's one reason right there. But um, uh, some people can't do that. And But, but for people like me, he that blesseth his friend with a loud voice. The word blesses to cause to prosper. So his intentions are good. His intentions are good. Rising early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse to him. No one wants to get woken up by the noxious loudmouth. There's only one thing worse than getting woke up by a noxious loudmouth. And Michelle can tell you what that is. It's getting woke up by a puppy. That is the worst. That is the worst. 
because this puppy has to be trained. If you don't respond to the puppy when the puppy demands it, you're going to wake up to a mess. The puppy figures out that all I've got to do is threaten to make a mess and I can get you to do anything. No one wants to get woken up by something obnoxious. For morning people, what does that tell me? It says, Danny, leave Michelle alone. Just leave her alone. I make it a point. On Saturdays particularly, I don't mess with Michelle until she wakes up on her own. That is the rule at my house. During the week, I get up, I get dressed, I spend a few minutes with her because she wants me to, but if she didn't, I would leave her alone and go to work that way. Why? It's not something they're going to accept as a blessing. It's not going to be something that is good. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is easy on this one. Does anyone, and I mean anyone, want to get woken up in the middle of the night? Nobody does. Just because I get up at 4.30 or whatever time in the morning doesn't mean I want to get woke up at 2. Bruce Shule gets up and goes to work at 2 in the morning. I want you to imagine Bruce Shule calling any one of us at 2 in the morning. Hey, how you doing? It's a beautiful day. None of us would like that. But for some reason, we, we think that everybody should get up when I do. Not the case. Luke 6.31, As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. This does not mean that if I like getting up at 4.15, that I want to get you up at 4.15. This means if I want to sleep until a certain time, I've got to allow you to sleep until whatever time you choose. So think it through. Verse 15, a continual dropping in a very raining day and a contentious moment are alike. Dorothy, last Sunday night, experienced something in the heavy rain. I don't know if she told you all about it, but her wiper stopped working. Okay, that's terrifying. A contentious woman is exactly the same way. But we've heard this before. Whosoever hideth her, hideth the wind. The ointment of his right hand which bereath itself. Trying to stop her is like trying to stop the wind or trying to hold something with greased hands. Like trying to stop the rain. Proverbs 19.13, the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. Very, very, very similar teaching. The words are not identical, but very, very close. Proverbs 21.9, it's better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. The question is, do we remember the cure? We've been over this so many times. Solomon has been over it so many times. He didn't. Even, he decided not to include it. The men of Hezekiah said, "You know what? We're going to put this in one more time. We're going to stick it in a section about friendship." And I believe this is what they're trying to do. Do we remember the cure? I'm not even going to tell you the cure. I'll tell you, Jody, later, because you were here when I taught it the first four times. Okay? But if you don't know the cure to this, it's your own fault. Straight up, it is your own fault. You've been taught and taught and taught and taught. Am I being a good friend if I know what I should do in their life 
but I choose just not to do it. No, it's not being a good friend. So far, how are we doing? In our own mind, how are we? Am I really a good friend? Or am I just someone who likes to say, hey? If all I'm going to be is someone who likes to say, hey, how can I expect them to be more? They're just not going to do it. <clears throat> iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Iron sharpeneth iron. This is something that I learned this morning and actually changed the way I'm going to teach it this morning. It didn't occur to me until this morning to look for a picture of iron sharpening iron, but I thought it'd be cool to put a picture up of that. Iron sharpening iron is not how iron is typically sharpened. Did you know that? Typically, iron is sharpened by stone. I couldn't find a picture of iron sharpening iron except for one picture said this is iron sharpening iron and it made total sense because both things were steel. That's iron sharpening iron. It's not grinding, it's pounding. Okay? If there is no heat on this piece of iron all they do is bang each other up. Neither get sharper, both get duller. There has to be heat. There has to be something that knows what it's doing. And there has to be something that's willing to let it be done. All those factors must come into play for iron to sharpen iron. This is not a pleasant experience. What is the heat, do you think? It is not the friction of rubbing together, which I always thought it was. It's not the friction of rubbing together because iron does not rub against iron because neither one will get sharp. What is the heat? It's got to be scripture. It's got to be scripture. There has to be something that the, the, the experienced iron has that the inexperienced iron does not have and is willing to listen to. But it's more than just rubbing together. It's more than just banging heads. It's actually having something the other one needs and being willing, if necessary, to back off at a certain time. There are things that, that an iron worker will do that he will do this process and stop and cool it down and fire it back up again. Why? It's necessary to get the job done. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. If I want to help someone become sharper, I've got to be willing to, to show them the heat. At the same time, I cannot force them because it will be just me banging heads with them. But if I'm willing to show them the heat and they're willing to respond to the heat, they will in fact become sharper. It is needed in all of our lives. Every parent has to sharpen the countenance of their child or their child will wind up in jail. And sometimes they wind up in jail anyway. But it's in the nature of human beings not to be sharp. It's in the nature of human beings to be dull, to be lazy, to take things as they come and respond angrily if it doesn't come easily. But no one wants to go to school. No one wants to learn. No one wants to be told what to do. But all that's iron sharpening iron. 
It's the purpose, in fact, of the church. Now, this is something that's very, very, very important. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Provoke? 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 Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another. Exhorting is encouraging. It's getting involved and saying, you can do this. It's not just saying, howdy. If this doesn't go on in church, I submit to you, we've not had church. Just haven't done it. If all we do is smile and say, hey, and we leave, and there's not been some kind of motivation to grow in some way, somehow, I believe we haven't had church. I believe we're doing God in disservice. We're not sharpening each other. We're simply having a club, and that's deadly. 18. Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. Deuteronomy 25, 4. Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. Basic principle that the worker gets some of the product of the job that he does. So he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. And where's the friendship in this? Who has a master? Who wants to wait on anybody? I submit to you this is all about friendship. It's about friendship. If we want the honor, if we want to be called that good friend, and I don't know about you, but I want to be a good friend. If I'm not, I want to know what I'm doing wrong. If I'm not being a good friend, I need to understand why people don't see me as a good friend. Maybe I need to change a little bit. If we want the honor, we must be willing to first do the work. Am I going to take all this Proverbs that we keep hearing over and over and over and actually do something with it? Or am I going to choose just to be nice? Or Am I going to be that guy in traffic? I submit to you, especially at Christmas time, there's a lot more of the last than anything else. There's that guy in traffic, not a friend, don't want to be a friend, they want you out of their way. This morning, Michelle and I had a conversation. And very quickly in the conversation, I knew this is not some conversation she wanted to have. And I thought, just let it go. But I knew from her reaction, she needed to hear what I was saying because what I was saying was from Scripture and it's something that she was not familiar with. It surprised me she wasn't familiar with it because I had in years past talked about it. I had to make the decision, am I going to continue this conversation for her sharpening or am I going to be nice? It would not fit with this message to just be nice. To my knowledge, she's still mad at me. <laughs> she's going to be in the car with you for two hours, just so you know, okay? So don't laugh at her. I'm not sorry I had the conversation. 
And deep down, I think that she's not sorry I had the conversation. You're all thinking, what's it about? It's not a, don't worry about that. That's, that's, that's a whole other thing. But it is scriptural. And I showed her the scriptures that it comes from. As in water, face answers the faith, so face, so the heart of man to man. As in water, face answereth to face. This is your reflection in water. Okay, you look in water that's still, and you're going to see what you look like. It may not be crystal clear, but you're going to know whether you have brown hair or blonde hair. You're going to know if you forgot to shave, that sort of thing. As in water, face answers to face, so the heart of man to man. This one is in fact hard. Why is it hard? The reflection in the water accurately shows the face to the person. That's clear. But what about the heart of man? The heart often lies to us, does it not? Does Scripture not say in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things? Desperately wicked. Who can know it? When we think that I am what deep down I think I am, Guaranteed we're not. Guaranteed we're not. So what does this proverb teach? It does teach something, and it's up to me as a teacher to find out what it teaches. And so I've dug into this. I've really looked hard. Most people did not come back with the heart being deceitful. Most people came back with, deep down you know who you are, and I just don't believe that. I don't think that fits the proverb. I believe it's possible that the heart of man here is not my heart talking to me. I believe here the heart of man is the character of those around us. The heart of man is the character of those around us. Now that will reflect who I am. The water's going to show what I am, and I submit to you, my friends will show who I am. When we look at who we like to be around, it shows who we are. Now, that fits. When we look at who we like to be around, now, for the record, if you don't like to be around church people, then you don't like to be around church people. Being here doesn't mean that you like to do it. And there's been a lot of times I didn't like to be at church. Who do I like being around? That shows what is in my heart. Gives me information that I don't know about myself. But it has to do with friendship. Who are my friends? Should they be my friends? Am I my own friend? That's a big question right there. Am I the cause, to some extent, of my own problems? There's a purpose Proverbs is in the Bible. It's to motivate us to change what we do to avoid or minimize problems. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. I think we're going to save this for next week. Father, thank you so much, again, for Proverbs. Thank you for Solomon writing them. Thank you that... Hezekiah's men added them back in in this particular section. Thank you that your word stands. Thank you for the comfort that if even the writer of the book decided not to include it, if it's your word, you'll get it in there some way. Thank you that we can trust 
your word because your word will never, ever, ever pass away. Help us to be good friends with it. Help us to apply it as heat in a loving way, in a purposeful way, not just buttheads. In Jesus' name, amen.